Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you tonight, Laura? I'm great. How are you? I, too, am great. I'm tired. I was just sharing. I have been in Detroit, Michigan at a family wedding, which was really fun, but, of course, exhausting. And we drove back, and I made it back in time to use the restroom and do the show. So here I am. <laughs> oh well, I'm glad you had a good weekend. I'm tired too, but for a different reason. Johnny and I walked a four mile walk today, and that's a lot for me. It was it was fun. Ooh. Johnny's actually is holding up five, so more like five miles. It was fun, but I am worn out, just worn yeah, out. That's, so that's a long walk. That is a long walk, isn't it? I'm proud of myself that I can make it without calling nine one one. So there you go. <laughs> Oh, good. Oh, let me get into a couple of announcements before we get rolling. And I'm determined we're only going to do one show on this topic. And I have a couple pages of notes. So we better get going with announcements and roll right on. Okay. Uh, conference dates. I'll be in Atlanta on September 27th and 28th. And that is um, getting registrations every day. So if you want to come to Atlanta, you better get on it so you are not uh, left without a seat. At Columbus, Ohio on October 11th and 12th, and then Chicago on the 25th and 26th. And for all our Illinois listeners, or if you're, well, I guess it would just be for Illinois early intervention providers, both days of uh, the conference have finally been approved by um, Illinois' early intervention program, and they have to get you know, like we do in Kentucky, they have to get so many hours of continuing education, but they have to have everything pre-approved. So it's a really big deal to those providers to know that their the course they're going to has already been reviewed and approved. So both in, gosh, 10 days or so, the first day was approved, but the second day wasn't. Who knows why? But now both days are approved, so I wanted to say that. And for Georgia uh, early intervention providers, that has been submitted to the Georgia system, but the person who approves those courses has been on maternity leave until tomorrow. So I oh my. anticipate I know. I, I anticipate that we'll get that approval. We got it last year. I, I don't think it's gonna be I've never been turned down for anything I've you know, applied for. So that should be approved within the week or so. So I wanted to just mention that for those um events and all the events are filling up so if you want to come especially if you're coming from out of town you better go ahead and register because once the mailers go out to the local people that's when it usually starts getting pretty full so i wanted to mention that secondly i got a new therapy tip of the week up on friday and this one is about ideas for using water and for playing with sand in therapy cheap ideas fun ideas so i wanted to uh, mention that. I don't think you've gotten to watch that yet. Kate, you've been out of town, haven't you? I watched it in my car. You did? Look at you. I did. I'm so high tech. Ha, ha, ha. It worked. I can see it. Oh, that's good. Well, good for you. All right. So I wanted to mention that. And I I wasn't driving. For those of you who are wondering, I was not driving. Bill was driving. I was watching the video. That's funny. I didn't think about that. 
Uh, and I wanted to thank uh, the people that are sharing that on their own pages. Um, that seems to happen more frequently now, and I love it when other speech pathologists post my videos on their own pages. Um, and so thanks so much uh, for doing that, or um, early intervention and stuff. And we even have some daycare providers who are posting that. Um, I wanted to mention oh, this one lady's name. I know, I think it's Child's Heart Daycare. I don't know if I can get back over there fast enough to look at that. But she's been sharing lots of things, so thank you so much. That's very sweet. Um, tonight we're going to talk about some ideas that I think uh, be relevant for her and for other therapists who provide therapy at child care centers and in home daycares. And these ideas also really work well for siblings. So many times even when we see our little clients in home-based programs, there's a brother or sister or two or seven at home. So <laughs> I wanted to mention that these ideas will also work when you're trying to incorporate siblings into sessions, especially for twins. Twins are so difficult because even though, you know, usually you know, you've got two children there the same chronological age, a lot of times the developmental age is different. Maybe one twin needs your services and one doesn't or whatever, but still twins and even triplets pose a real special set of circumstances. And I've worked with tons of multiples over the years. Haven't you, Kate? Not tons. I've certainly worked with some, and I have some right now, but I would not say tons for for whatever reason. Well, I would say tons. And so yeah. um, these ideas work really well for that, too. So if you're a mom and you're listening and you're thinking, oh, she's not talking about something tonight that's – they're talking about something that doesn't relate to me. If you have other kids at home, you can use these ideas as well. Uh, and I wanted to mention that because that might not cross. Um, someone's mind if we didn't really talk about it. So, and this idea for the show was suggested by Letitia, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, on Facebook a couple of weeks ago when I asked for podcast topics, and she submitted this idea, so I wanted to thank her for uh, coming up with this. I think we have done a show about this, but it was a long, long, long time ago. Do you remember that? I think so, too, yeah. But a couple of years. Yeah, it's been a couple of years, and I meant to go back and try to dig it out of the archives and listen, but then that makes me a little bit anxious sometimes when I listen to previous shows. I, uh, you know, I'm a little too critical of myself, so I did not do that and put myself through that torture. Uh, so we, it, these ideas may be the same. They may be completely different. Who knows? It's neither one of us can really remember other than we did the we did the show. But I want to start by talking about what's an ideal situation for working with a child in daycare or child care or whatever you want to call it. Because I think a lot of times in our state early intervention programs, the recommendations that we get really are to work with the ideal situation. And that would be to really collaborate with the teacher and to go through the child's wonderfully uh, <laughs> scheduled, you know, time that you're there and everything just works like clockwork and it's all based on best practices and you could really, you know, shoot a lovely hour of video when you were there because everything would just fall into place and there would be no 
uh, interruptions or whatever. And so we're going to talk about that kind of situation first, and then we're going to talk about the real world because I think <laughs> it is great to say that we're going to walk into a child care center and we're going to just fit right in with whatever's going on with child in that day and we're going to be able to talk with that teacher at will and just make all kinds of wonderful recommendations that she is going to follow through with immediately and everything's just going to be great until the next time we go back and visit that kid and again that is the ideal and I have had some child care settings that I've worked in that have been so great like that where the schedule is pretty set where they're actually following what the, you know, they have a lesson plan, they're following through, you go right in, you kind of milk right into whatever is going on in that classroom, you're able to work with your child within that activity and make suggestions for the teacher so that she can carry those ideas over. I certainly have had situations like that, and Kate, I know you've worked in some great child care places because you'll call me and you'll say, Oh my gosh, that you know that was great. Or you know we're able to find some really positive um, recommendations for places based on how nurturing they are with kids and how how developmentally appropriate the activities are. And you know they're, the places are well staffed, and you know everything is just goes beautifully. So again, that's the ideal, and that's again what our state inter early intervention programs want to talk about is really providing those consultative services where you're just going in and making suggestions and the teacher is and the director are happy that you're there and welcome you and <laughs> want to hear what you have to say and gladly implement those ideas into um, routines with the child that you happen to be working with. And again, providing strategies for teachers as you go and having a teacher really want to hear those things and really value your recommendations, you know, that's the ideal situation. And if we were talking about what we hoped would happen with every child, that would be it, that you would go in and that you're following already beautifully uh, arranged day and it will just fit right in and it goes very smoothly. And that does happen and that does exist. And I'm not trying to be negative when now we're going to talk about what happens all the rest of the time. <laughs> because I think that's where we really, really struggle. And again, I don't want this to be an overt negative show where we're slamming daycare and childcare. And, you know, I've been a working mother forever, so I'm certainly not here to do that. I just want to talk about the things that, ideas for you to use in situations that aren't as, I previously described because that happens a lot, don't you think? Yeah, I have to be honest and say when I read the topic for the show, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, and really the only reason I felt that way is because I do go to a lot of daycares um, that are not necessarily the ideal, you know, that, that don't mm -hmm. really follow the model that we wish they all did and those daycares it's a lot harder to follow the recommendations of the state and you know it, it's just not as um, you know those are the daycares that have no real 
curriculum or routine or structure or, you know, half the time they don't even have the most basic of toys. You know, it's just right. stuff and not much of that. And that makes it a lot harder when you're dealing with that or, you know, I still go to daycares routinely where what they do is watch a lot of videos, you know, yeah. um, which seems hard to believe since, you know, I don't know, but it still is very common in my world. So, you know, it's unfortunately, I wish every it daycare happens. I went to, yeah, I wish they were all just the way they're supposed to be, um, but that just isn't necessarily the real world. So Right. And so we're talking about real world situations tonight where, and again, I just wanted to be clear that we're not trying to be negative or slam daycare or anything like that. We're just... Wanting to provide some ideas for when things don't go um, as beautifully as you would hope that they would go, and just and again, we're giving these ideas with things that we've actually done, not from an academic perspective where we're sitting in our office in a university and writing about how it should be, which is yeah. what I think happens a lot, and even mm-hmm. if those people may have worked in early intervention systems, you know, in like 10 years ago or whatever, they're writing about from the ideal, you know, ideally you're going to collaborate and ideally you're just going to be a consultant and you're just going to tell them what they should do and everything's just, oh, it's just going to be perfect because then you can't have And they're going to be so anxious and willing to (laughs) respond to what you say. And I feel that way too about the whole consultative model and the way that they – you know, trying to pick the way family situations are. And certainly we all have those wonderful families that really do fit that mold beautifully, but then there are those families that don't, and everything is... Right. They don't seem to write about the exceptions. They just write about the ideal. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about the rest of kind of the real world stuff and what you can do. First of all, I think, well, let's talk about what would be the complete opposite what of that collaborative consultative approach. It would be where you pull the kid out and do therapy like that. And in some daycares, that's still what they really want you to do. And um, I'm not going to tell people not to do that if the daycare director is saying to you, I don't really want you in that classroom. I'd really rather have you out separately. And they may not say that. They may say, I think he's going to pay attention better, or mm-hmm. I think he needs the one-on-one or whatever. But for whatever reasons, a lot of times programs really don't want you in the classroom. And so, you know, as a real-life therapist who <laughs> sees kids in that situation, I'm not really going to ever argue with a person who's telling me I don't I don't want you in there. I might, you know, say, gosh, I really want to see kind of how he is interacting in the classroom and I want to talk to the teacher and see what I can help her with. But if I still had a director say, That's great, honey, but I want you to I want you to see him here in this room. That's how we've done it for the last twenty years and I want you to do it that way too. I'm not really gonna argue so much with her because I'm a guest in her facility, and she can (laughs) disinvite me to come, and I have to remember that as the business owner's perspective, 
I have to abide by that. And while, again, it's not always ideal, you would want to be able to talk to the teacher and talk with her about and see kind of what her issues are. And sometimes we can observe kids in a classroom setting and they're totally different than how we think they would be and then we're able to make better recommendations. But when a, a director or an owner or whatever says to you, here's your room, I don't really fight that too much. Do you? No. And I I mean, that's why I kind of was a little bit taken aback by the topic because I thought, ah, I don't really stay in the room that much. I'm pretty bad about going with the nature of the place and the feeling, and sometimes it isn't. Like you said, they don't overtly say you cannot stay in the room, but they basically kind of do. Yeah, it tends yeah, to be in those daycares that are not necessarily the, the cream of the crop, you know, and unfortunately yeah. there are quite a few of those, and there, you know, there's a handful of great, and then you have your middle, and then you have your lower end of daycare quality, but yeah, it's, um, well, we can talk about it further, but I do pull them out probably more than I should. I just think, mm-hmm. well, the reality is, it's exactly those kind of places that when you do try and stay in, oftentimes it's not really very productive, and there are a variety of reasons why, but mostly it's because right. there is no no real routine or structure in the in that classroom. Right. So it can be really hard to do an hour, and, and sometimes I feel like it's productive for the group, not necessarily terribly productive for the kid I'm supposed to be working with. Exactly. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't had a daycare kid in well over a year. And so the last daycare kid that I did see, it was a little girl who happened to live right next door to me. So, and again, oh, boy, wasn't that just the best case scenario. And then she started going to daycare. And I did still see her kind of half at home, half at daycare. But it was that kind of situation where they didn't want me in the room. And when I tried to stay in and work, it was actually so upsetting to the staff that I started Mm -hmm. to feel like they didn't want me there. And so (laughs) that's when I just completely would say I might stay in at the very beginning and lead a little activity Mm -hmm. like we're going to talk about. And then I would pull my little girl out. And the other reason that I still was saying that that was pulling her out is I felt like she got so little one-on-one attention. And for her, right. she would look at me like, thank you, <laughs> you know, when it was, and she would try to pull me when it was obvious mm-hmm. to her that I was going to stay in and do a song or do whatever. She didn't really want to share me with her little friends. And she could communicate that, not even so much with words, but just with her facial expressions and her gestures and standing up and, you know, pulling me to the door. And how can you argue with that? With her kind of, come on, you're my friend. I don't don't want to share you with these people. Come on. So that's another reason that sometimes it happens. And, again, this is real world. It's not totally ideal. but but that's kind of the other end of that, where you where you weigh your options, you weigh your factors, and you decide, okay, I, I would much rather not pull them out 
and it be this way, but this is what I've got to work with, so I'm going to do it. There are some children that if you try to stay with them in the classroom, you accomplish absolutely nothing because of their own needs. And so for those children, too, I think you can make a really good clinical case for, no, this is at least part of the time we're going to be one-on-one, and here's why, and I'm, you know, I'm sticking to it. (laughs) This is what I say for him. And so, you know, again, there are those kinds of situations, too. But let's talk about those in-between kids or those in-between situations where you pretty much end up leaving the classroom activities for, if not the whole entire class, at least part of the class. And a lot of us don't like to do that because we feel like we're, excuse me, not really meeting just the needs of the child that's there. But I've had some pretty positive um, outcomes by doing therapy this way. I feel like I've been able to really help a lot of teachers, a lot of daycare teachers, at least, you know, see a better way to do things. And sometimes that's not, again, met with complete resistance, but it's not necessarily, they won't tell you quite up front, oh my gosh, I love what you did, or I'm going to use that. You know, you don't really have to have that kind of praise or acclaim before you know that you've made a positive impact too. And so the ideas that we're going to talk about the rest of the show are for that kind of situation where you're working with a small group of children or even, you know, the whole darn class because it certainly happens. I think circle time activities work really, really well in that situation, especially if they haven't already had their established circle time I don't necessarily shy away from those activities, even if they have, because sometimes the circle time that the teacher has had looks so dramatically different than what I would do (laughs) for that situation. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is staff education, just as much as it is for the kids, because they need to see what a developmentally appropriate group activity looks like. And it's so sad that a lot of times our, our our ladies that are calling teachers in that situation have had absolutely no training. So they don't even know what it should look like until someone shows them. And what better way to show them than to really model it and to do it for them. And then they can say to you, well, that's not going to work because or whatever. And you can help them problem solve, not only for the kid that you're seeing, but for other kids in the classroom too. And I've had some pretty good successes with even working with um, teachers who did seem less than happy for me to be there in the beginning. But it's all the way that you promote it and that you're able to just kind of say, let me just show you what I would do without it being overly bossy or authoritative or critical. And I think that's what happens a lot is a lot of a lot of um, our daycare staff feel really uh, threatened almost or they, you know, they right. think you're going to tell on them, you know, that you're going to call the state or you're going to, you know, the licensure board or, you know, what, however your state is set up. And so if you can kind of go in and disarm those feelings of defensiveness, you can get a lot further. And again, that's just, you can't really teach somebody how to do that. And, you know, that's just learning how to work with people and how to make people feel more comfortable that you're there and the whole, I'm in this with ya 
um, situation rather than I'm here to tell you that you're doing it all wrong. And and I understand why those teachers would feel that way because they automatically feel a little bit threatened that a therapist is going to come in anyway, don't you think? Yes, oftentimes. And I couldn't be further from the truth as far as, you know, I mean, I would love if every kid I worked with was in the best daycare, but generally, you know, I'm there to do my job, and I really try to um, not be too judgmental. But I do think yeah. sometimes therapists in general sometimes occasionally will kind of present things that way, and they've had a bad experience in the past. Or I've even known of cases where therapists did call the state because of numbers or whatever, and it's like, that's right. not me. You know, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here for that, care, please. Yeah. Yes, that's not me. But yeah. I do think that some daycares are very guarded, and they'll let you in, but it's on their terms. Right, right. And so if you are going into a classroom, and if you can really help the teacher like you and feel like that you're there to help and that you're there to make really positive, easy suggestions, and that's a word I say all the time today care people let me show you some easy stuff let me show you some stuff that you know this is a winner this this works for every place i've ever showed it to and then they start to feel more comfortable and um more uh just like you said they let their guard down that you can mm-hmm. do some things with them now sometimes so far the other way that they see you coming and they pretty much say okay smoke break for me i'm And you don't really want that either. (laughs) Want that. But you do want it where they feel pretty comfortable to let you kind of do your thing and, you you know, kind of alongside them. So, again, I think circle up time activities work really, really well for this kind of thing. And so songs with hand motions and little finger plays I think are always winners. Now, you can't do 25 in a row. You need to do a couple that you really, really like and that you think the kids might already be a little bit familiar with, but not so familiar that they don't want to do it with you, that it's really boring. So if you know that the teacher sings, if you're happy and you know it almost every day, don't sing that song unless you're going to put a really fun spin on it or you're going to teach the kids a new way to do it or some new little motions to do. Other ones, Itsy Bitsy Spider is a good one to do. Kids kind of universally love that. Open, shut them. I think Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes, that's a fun song to do, and I let kids stand up to do it, and sometimes standing up during circle time is a big no-no, so if you've let them do it, they all, you know, it's so novel (laughs) that you say, we're going to stand up, that... um, they like that, and that's kind of a fun thing to do. Other little songs that I love um, that any any of those five, you know, five in the bed and the little one said roll over, roll over, or five little monkeys jumping, jumping on the bed, or five little monkeys swinging in the tree, those kinds of songs are fun. And you really want to be sure that you are an enthusiastic singer, even if your singing voice isn't great that you are really into it, and, again, you're modeling for that teacher how animated and how fun and how playful she needs to be. And a lot of times adults have never really seen another adult do that person. I mean, it's always a surprise to me when 
I see the teacher paying as much attention as sometimes the kids are. And I'll think, wow, you know, she's never, she's probably never seen this or she doesn't remember this. And, again, that's intimidating to some therapists because they think, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, this is like I'm performing or whatever. But really, that's how we have to do it. And what better way to teach a teacher or a mom or another therapist or whoever how to do it than just to show them and just to model it, model it for them. And I think it's um, – I would rather – me act animated and fun and silly and playful rather than sit there and lecture another person how to do it. I'd rather them see me do it first before I start making a ton of suggestions for how they can fix themselves. And Uh, I think it's a little less off-putting if you're just going in there and doing it as opposed to, okay, now I'm going to pull you aside and tell you how it should be done properly. You know, that's kind of... That's kind of offensive for a lot of people, and if you're just yeah. showing it, you're just kind of there doing your thing. And I do think sometimes you see them watching you and thinking, hmm, you know, <laughs> that got a good response. Yeah, or you'll see them really kind of get into it like the kids. Or just maybe it's not even like that, but their defenses are just down. Or they'll say, boy, you really like your job, don't you? Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, yes, I do. And so that's a that's a good thing when you're when you're doing it that way. And sometimes if I'm sitting in circle time and it's not going really well, and I can tell that I'm making the teacher uncomfortable, I'll just say, "Hey, can I do one?" And I have never ever ever had anybody say no. Now they may be surprised. <laughs> they may, you know, even look a little bit like, "Oh my gosh." But I've never had anybody say no. And so then if you can just kind of jump up, and I'm not bothered by that either. Even if somebody said no, I would probably say, oh, come on, come on, let me do it. And it would just <laughs> kind of <laughs> alleviate that whole thing. And you wouldn't, couldn't do that with every teacher, really structured people. But most of the time, for the most part, I think they would be happy to let you jump in and try one. So some songs that are your go-to songs, that you could do some fun things with. My very favorite Circle Time song that I did when uh, we ran our playgroup program uh, was the Where Oh Where song. And, again, I've never had uh, one, two, or three-year-old not like this song, and we talked about it a lot on the show. But if you're a new listener, you may have never heard it before, but you have a kid hide under the blanket, and you sing... You know, where oh where oh where is Kate? Where oh where oh where is Kate? Where oh where oh where is Kate? Where can Kate be? You might want to slow it down. I'm going faster just for the purpose of the demonstration. <laughs> but then you have the kid pop out. If the kid doesn't automatically come out, you pull the blanket off their head and you all scream boo. That is a riot in a toddler classroom. And that song is very catchy it doesn't have very many words kids like it because they're saying their friend's name every kid wants a turn so and again it's a it's a kind of a time filler it takes you know a while to get through every kid but because you're changing the routine or changing the kid who's the focus um you know, everybody gets their turn and they kind of hang with you. So that is my number one go-to activity every day or 
family daycare or even if you're doing it just with siblings and mom, dad or whatever, everybody's got a blanket laying around that they can use. If you don't think the daycare will have that, take one in with you. You could, uh, a blanket works really well though for that rather than, you could use some other objects, but I think a blanket works the best. So that's my number one routine. And oh, so many daycare workers, daycare teachers say that they use that a lot and that kids ask for that song and they like that. So I, I think that's always a winner. You've done that one, haven't you, Kate? Oh yes, I have done that one. And it is and universally I- appreciated. Yeah. So that's a great one. Another routine that I have done with kids, but they really like this too, and my daughter, who's now 16, uh, loved this little routine when she was in her uh, preschool class, and they did it all the time, and uh, I've done it since then, but it's Jack in the Box. Do you know this one, Kate, where you you squat down on the floor and you say, Everybody squats down or crouches down or whatever your word is, but you, you're standing, you're still kind of standing on your feet so that um, you can jump up, but you say, and you do it really quietly but really animated, and you say, Jack in the box, sit so still. Won't you come out? And then you pause, and then you jump up and scream, yes, I will, and hold your <laughs> hands up. Again, two-year-olds love it. Even if they've seen it 15 times, <laughs> that surprise factor of pausing with the jack-in-the-box that's so still, won't you come out? And then jumping up, yes, I will. And, again, a winner. Lots of kids love it. It's an easy kind of way to pull kids in that won't typically do hand motions. Sometimes well, our kids with developmental delays can't quite get those hand motions coordinated with a song, but this is just jumping up from the floor and again, so usually scream ah! or something, and so that's another fun one to do too, and it also alleviates the whole, you have to sit there perfectly still um, and not move uh, it kind of gets the teacher out of that, so that you're helping her realize that two-year-olds and one-year-olds and three-year-olds, whatever that you're working with that they, developmentally it's not appropriate for them to be able to sit still for 30 minutes straight and scream out the names of flashcards. So teaching her other fun activities that she could do uh, during that circle time. So, And when I leave the circle time activity too, I'm really kind of coaching the teacher and I'm saying, okay, they seem kind of restless, so we better try one with movement. Let's try this. And so you can kind of talk out loud through some of that. And that gives her <laughs> a way to start to think about it. She may never have thought about that before. Before, circle time for her might have been the pledge and saying the days of the week. She might not have even thought about doing some of these other things that are more fun. So get yourself several go-to songs that, or and little routines like that that work pretty well for a circle time. And try to alternate them between ones that you move a lot on and then ones that you're just kind of sitting and doing hand motions to. If you need help with that, uh, Teach Me to Play With You is the first therapy manual that I wrote, and it's full of finger plays and songs and little activities like that. So if you don't know very many of those songs and don't know the hand motions or how to make those fun, that would be a great 
resource that I would recommend. Another circle time activity or that's close to this is modeling how to read a book to the class. And again, a lot of times our daycare teachers haven't heard someone do it where it's interactive and you want kids to participate and where you're really into it and, and animated. So you want to do that. Sometimes I'll even watch YouTube videos of people that are supposed to be pretty good, you would think, you know, they made a YouTube of themselves reading a book, you know, to children, and they're still pretty monotone, pretty flat. And so I'll think, well, no wonder <laughs> the this person, you know, Miss Tiffany, who's all of 19 and who's the daycare teacher and has had no formal training, doesn't know how to do this because she hasn't heard anybody do it in a better way. And so that's a, another thing that I've done from time to time is, re, is um, do a book like that. Um, try to pick books that are pretty repetitive. I like um, ones that have lines that kids can scream out or at least kind of a keyword. Brown bear, uh, brown bear, what do you see? I see a yellow duck looking at, and then you pause for the kids to say, me. And if you're working on that word or working on that sign, you can teach the whole class to pat their chest and scream out, me. And that whole vocal contagion piece where everybody's saying the same thing at the same time is really powerful for lots of our light-talking friends. And they'll start to do it in the context of all their little friends doing it too. So those uh, that's another good idea. Uh, other books that I remember this one daycare, it was at the, do you remember, did you ever go to the daycare case at the Ford plant? I don't think it's open anymore, but did you ever no, go to No, I remember hearing Louisville? that it was good, but I never did have it. I think it did close. I never had a child yeah. there. Great daycares, and they had two in Louisville, and I saw kids at both of those locations, and they always had great books. And I remember one little guy that I saw, um, no was the only word that he could say. And so mm-hmm. we did those little David books. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you I seen don't. those? They're really cute. They're not board books, I don't think. I've only seen them as paper books. But his daycare teacher said, why don't we try this book? He, I bet he'll like it because it's, it's his word. It's no. And so we did that as a circle time activity for his class, and he just totally lit up because it was something that he could do. And, you know, all the kids are screaming, you know, David David is a mischievous little boy, and he does all kinds of things that you're not supposed to do. And his mom is always saying no to him, and, it's you know, it's funny, and it's cute, and the, the art is precious. And so that was a, a great one. And I don't have any of those books, but as I was thinking about this topic today, I was thinking, I'm going to get on Amazon right after the show and order some of those uh, really cute little David books because they were, they were so cute. Um, the Sandra Boynton books are really cute for um, that kind of activity too. Mooba, La La La, The Pajama Book, any of, the, any of her little books are cute for that sort of thing. And you'll have to you can do a lot of education along these lines and talk to teachers about why these books are going to hold children's attention better and ways that they can keep the kids engaged. And you talk about, you know, helping children uh, pay attention by using your voice, you know, just so many 
things that you can work into specification when you're when you're really teaching. And again, the best way to do it is just to read the book yourself and to show the teacher, um, and and really let her watch you do it in the way that you think would be more productive um, for kids in general, especially the kid that you're seeing. So those are great things you can do. Other things that I like to do that are along lines, but not necessarily in the context of circle time, are just playing little games where the kids have to follow directions. And I used to try to do all these kinds of things, too, just with my a little classes that I would, um, two-year-olds that I would see at church, and just have them try to imitate or copy any little movement you would do, you know, holding your hands up in the air, uh, touching the floor, hopping on one foot, you could sleep, you could kick, you could dance, you could shake your arms or legs, you could touch your knees, anything like that, you know, if you're all kind of just standing around with nothing to do. That teaching that kind of body imitation is huge because, one, it's part of learning how to imitate, and, two, for so many of our little guys that aren't really, that are developmentally delayed and that aren't really, even participating in those kinds of group activities, it gives them something easy enough to do. So I love doing little games like that, and I think you can be really fun and get kids to want to do it with you. And it certainly is a way that you can hold a lot of kids' attention, but it's all in how you present it and how silly and fun and goofy you act while you're doing it. Uh, so those are fun little things to do. You can do those other kinds of those kinds of games too. If you're sitting down at the table, um, I think it's a good thing to do either before or after snack time when you're trying to kill some time there. <laughs> Maybe you're waiting on children to go to the bathroom, or you're, you know, you've got five minutes before you're supposed to go to music or whatever. You can do those little things where you're having, you know, you do an act and you have them copy you, and those can be fun little routines too. There are some books that I've used that are really similar to um, those activities. Barney has a Pat Your Head book. Have you seen that book, Kate? It's old. I don't know that I have, no. It's a board book, and it's Barney, and he's telling his friends. Is Barney even on anymore? I don't even know if Barney's on PBS anymore. That's how I old we are. I don't know if are. it is. I have kids <laughs> in daycares who still watch it because they use the old DVD. DV or whatever, the VHS, VHS tape still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I still yeah. have occasional Barney Kid, but I don't know if it's on TV still. Well, there's a Barney book, and I know about this because our, my boys, who are 23 and 20, uh, li- turning 23 and 20, liked um, those books. And Macy had those books too, and so, but it's a cute little Barney board book, and he's doing various actions, and the children pictured are copying him, and so that's the way that I've been able to get lots of kids to do it. And again, I think sometimes it's almost easier when you have a group of children doing it that would, you know, usually typically developing kids. If you get one or two who don't want to do it with you, it's going to make it easy for your little client to want to participate in that kind of thing, too. Um, There's an Elmo version of the book, too, but I lost it or gave it away or something a long time ago, and I've never been able to find it again. And that's something I might add to my Amazon list today. But it's Elmo (laughs) doing uh, certain things, like touching his nose, covering his eyes, shaking his leg, 
And that can be really, really fun, especially for kids who, I mean, you can go either way. Kids who love books will like to do it because that's something they like to do. Kids who hate books might be a little bit more inclined to do it if you're doing more than just reading to them or requiring them to look at the picture. So I wanted to mention that as well. Another thing that you can do along those lines, if you have kids who are learning, you're working on verbs and action words, this is when you can pull out your super-duper verb card set <laughs> and everybody do what the picture is. And that really is the only time that I, you might ever hear me recommend flashcards. Uh, but that's kind of a fun thing to do if you see a kid that's, um, you know, you, whatever they're doing, you have the group of kids try to do it too, and you could have the kids draw the card out of your hand or pick a card. You could put several of those pictures in a, a bag and have them, you know, make a big deal about reaching in and getting the picture out. Oh, what's she doing? Show us, show us. And have the child try to do it. Now, two-year-olds can't always do that, you know, <laughs> they can't always look at the picture and then make themselves do what the person's doing, but you can help with that. And again, it's really fun. We used to do it in play group, and I think kids like it. And again, it's something new to do. It's not something you're going to do every day, but it's one more activity that you can do um, just to target something different. Other things that are really, really fun for uh, small groups of children, I think a Ring Around the Rosies is a winner with almost every group of kids I've ever tried to play it with for the past 25 years. What do you think? Yeah, they love it. Well, I mean, really, a lot of the things, what, something that unifies a lot of the things you've recommended is get them up and get them moving, which is sometimes right. the exact opposite of what happens in daycares. They want them to sit and listen. So, yeah, they yeah. love to get up and move, so... Yeah, Even those kids the who can sit and listen. You know what I mean? They right. could, but yet they really love the get them up and moving stuff. And for a lot of the kids we see, if if they're not, if there isn't a movement component, mm, they're probably not going to really yeah. uh, take in too much of it. So Exactly. So Ringing Around the Rosies is good. That's just a good time filler, too. Ring Around the Roses is also another great transition activity that if you want the kids to end up sitting, because you end that game down on the floor. We all fall down. And so after you've played it four or five times, that's a good way to kind of then segue right into your next activity because they're all already in the perfect position to sit down and listen to you. So that's another great transition activity. Another really fun game along these lines is the Walking, Walking, or Marching, Marching song. I think I caught, I sang it Walking, Walking until you always started singing it Marching, Marching, didn't you? Right. Didn't you convince me to, yeah. But this little song is fun. It's, and you're doing a lot of different verbs, but you're acting out, you know, marching, 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 hop, 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 running, 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 now we stop. And kids love that. And, again, it's so fun to do if you're in a little classroom, do it around the table. That's real fun. We do that in um, our new office. Uh, if, that's even one that you can do outside or even in a small space. You can do um, that activity. And I think it is a great way to 
engage a kid who normally wouldn't really want to participate in those kinds of things. So I've had a ton of kids really, really like that little song. So that's that's a keeper too. Any kind of running game, you can put Ready, Set, Go. If you're in a big gym, if you're just in a small classroom with five or six kids, sometimes you know your daycare teacher might freak out if you're <laughs> saying we're going to run, but you can have kids do all kinds of things. You can have them hop. You can have them crawl. You can have them tiptoe. You can have them pretend like they're going to fly. Anything with that whole Ready, Set, Go component. And that movement or running or any kind of little game like that, that's where you're going to see your kids who are usually disconnected and not uh, participating with their friends. That's the first time you almost ever see an inkling of noticing another kid or another peer. So our little friends that are on the spectrum who do very little interacting with kids their own age, um, gross motor act games, are the very best way to get them interested in looking at other children and even watching other children. Um, even if your little guy's not running, you know, watching the other children as you're doing Ready, Set, Go is, I mean, I feel like goal met when a kid will start to notice his peers in that situation if he's been uh, pretty isolated or, you know, not ever really engaged with little friends. So those little kinds of gross motor games are lots and lots and lots of fun. For games that take a little bit more um, planning to accomplish with um, a small group of children like this, and again, once you've made the activity, you can use it for the next 10 years. So. <laughs> Uh, some of these things that might take some time to put together, again, you can you know, use them for the rest of your careers. But any kind of matching game that you're going to have lots of things to match. And my very favorite one I did probably, I've been using the same set for years and years and years, but it's just getting a poster board and then getting gift bows or um, you know, present bows that get some type of presents, those little sticky bows that match the poster paper. And so, you know, buy yourself bags of those bows and match them and uh, so that you have, you know, separate reds and greens and blues and then set the paper across the room and then you get on the other side of the room and hold the bag with the bows in them and you have the kids, you know, pick a bow and then match it to the paper and then you can turn it around and do it as a receptive activity when you've matched all the bows and, you know, you're telling one child, go get a green bow and everybody has to watch while he runs over and gets the bow and then comes back. Um, or, you know, you could even make it more difficult. Get a red bow and a white bow and have them run back. And again, uh, bow isn't the most functional word in the world and Colors, you know, matching colors comes way before children understand colors receptively or name them expressively. So it's a developmentally appropriate activity to do in uh, that kind of classroom. And you're getting, um, you're hitting all those cognitive prerequisites to um, using that kind of goal. You know, I don't really care if the kid is naming colors yet, but it is great when he's participating in a game with his peers, he's following some directions, he's staying with me, staying engaged, and I'm able to keep his little friends engaged too. 
you can match all kinds of things. In the winter time, when um, mittens or gloves are on clearance, buy you know a dozen of those when they're all fifty cents, and then you can have kids match the uh, you know one pair of the mitten to the other mitten. In homes, when there have been piles of shoes by the door, <laughs> I've lined up one of all the shoes and then had the other mates to the shoes across the room, and we've matched like that. And the fun part of that is running across the room and finding the match. And you can get kids to participate in that, and you're all doing it together. And you can come up with whatever your target vocabulary words are for them to say or for them to understand or whatever. But the point is you've got an activity that you can fit your goals um, into that. And you can use anything like that. You could match Legos that way. You could do crayons. You could do anything that... You know, you have one um, set of a color, you know, or, or multiple color options with a set of that. So there could probably be lots of different materials that you could use for that same kind of little matching game. But those are really fun things to do. The other, My other go-to game in this kind of situation would be taking in two or three wooden puzzles and me holding all the pieces and so that a kid has to run, put the piece of the puzzle in the in the puzzle on the opposite side of the room and then run back. So those little puzzle races, and again, you can target your receptive goals and your expressive goals. You can name the puzzle piece when you're going to put it in. I hear something beeping. Is that a your Sorry. Okay. Yeah. And then you can do it receptively, too. If you've had a farm puzzle and a transportation puzzle, you know, you're telling your little your little friend, go get the car. And they have to remember that and hold that, you know, in their working memories and run over and get it and then run back. And I've used those games with siblings, with small groups of children in daycare. You know, again, that's not a group, uh, an activity I would do with 15 kids, but with three or four, that's pretty manageable and pretty fun. So I wanted to uh, be sure to mention those. What are some other things you've done, Kate? I feel like I'm just... Blabbing on, but I'm trying to get through this whole list so it's all done in one show. <laughs> um, I don't think you've said this. I have done, like I said, up front, I am um, not a, a great poster therapist for working in the classroom. Um, but on occasion that I have done it, and I have done it some, I've done a lot of things like, um, you know, bubbles and balloons Mm-hmm. and those kind of group activities that all kids kind of universally love. Right. Um, and I think the thing with that is getting the teacher not to be afraid of that and not to worry too much about behavior because a lot of times when you're doing that kind of thing, you can see a teacher's blood pressure start to rise mm-hmm. right in front of you because she gets so, you know, scared that the kids are going to get out of control. And so you can just talk you know, and really model how to really kind of bring it all down so that she's not, you know, screaming or, you know, really getting upset that the kids are getting out of control. And you can do things like that, you know, with if they're really kind of crazy, you know, you can get everybody to, with bubbles, you know, oh, to blow it or, oh, this time we're going to do quiet bubbles. Shh, everybody, shh, shh. We have to be quiet for the bubble. And you can do Again, things that you think, oh, my gosh, that's the dumbest idea in the world. But it really, really works. (laughs) And whispering almost works better to bring down a small group of children than screaming does. 
but sometimes teachers know that. So with those kinds of activities, I think that those are good to model just to show a teacher a better way to kind of help control those things, don't you think? Right. Laura, one other one I've done that I learned from you, and I haven't done it in a while, um, it must have been around Halloween time, and you taught me that past the pumpkin one. Yeah. That's I a good one. I've done that. That's a good one. And that's the song you would stop at Walmart or the grocery store and buy a little pumpkin and have the kids sit in a circle. And the song that you sing is um, Pass the Pumpkin, Pass the Pumpkin, All Around, All Around. Halloween is coming, Halloween is coming to our town. And then, again, the kid's going to end up with it. And if it's a really uh, kind of advanced group, you could get them to roll the pumpkin. You could say, roll the pumpkin to so-and-so, you know, a little friend name, and have them do that. Or if you think that would totally get out of control, you could just sing it, you know, 15 times in a row because they don't seem to get tired of it because you've given them the whole manipulative piece with passing the pumpkin. And you can really adapt that to um, the pumpkin works great for Halloween, but you could adapt it for other seasonal activities. You could sing pass the egg at Easter time or pass the stocking or pass the bells for Christmas or whatever. So it's, it's a cute little activity. But again, when you look at it, you think, gosh, how simple is that? but it does seem to hold um, a toddler's attention in a group. You know, and in general, from what I see in daycares, even those daycares that do, now not the best daycares, but even that middle echelon of daycares that they really do try and do circle time and try and have educational things going on, it does seem like... And maybe I'm hypersensitive because the kids that I see are delayed, but I really think that in general the biggest thing I wish um, I could affect would be to have them bring it down in general as far as a lot of times it is too difficult. You know, they're really interested in teaching colors and the alphabet. And, you know, for for most two-year-old kids, those things are just really not relevant or interesting, and they shouldn't be. And yet right. that, you know, because they're trying to be, quote, unquote, academic, um, and they, you know, so many kids don't really care about that or attend to that, that sometimes it just becomes this difficult period where you've got to do some teaching, you know. And, right. <laughs> and there might be one or two of the kids who's interested and, and knows the colors and maybe knows his ABCs, but most of the kids really aren't there and they really shouldn't be there. And right. I think that if you know, they, in general, it's just it tends to be a little beyond where a lot of, and not not beyond where they are because they're delayed, just beyond where they are because they're two or right. eighteen months or so. You know, that's just not really uh, inherently exactly. interesting for yeah young kids. In general, that seems to be the biggest issue that I witness. You know, they're really trying and they really mean well, but they're just ahead most of the kids in the classroom. Right, exactly. And so these activities, again, don't, I don't want anybody listening to dismiss them thinking, well, that's not going to hold their attention. Your point is, it's a simple, it's those really simple, repetitive things that seem to work. And so, um, 
I, I think that's a great point. My fanciest activity that I've ever done with um, daycare kids, and these I've done this more than one time, and every time I do it halfway through, I think, why am I doing this again? But it's <laughs> it has really worked with my kids who, um, for whatever reason, uh, we had kind of, we've had social a social component, and maybe kids that aren't. In, I'm talking about the kids that I've used it with are not even on the spectrum. This have been kids that just because of their temperament issues or because of per, you know personality things, they've been shyer. They don't really do anything with a lot of the other kids. They never, you know, they may be talking, but they don't seem to really have connections with children in their class. You know, and one little guy did it because mom said, I don't think he has any friends, and that is so distressing to me. So for these kids, um, I've taken pictures of every kid in the classroom and we've put them, uh, made two copies, laminated them, glued them to a piece of poster paper, and then played games with the cards. You can either have the kid come find his own picture and put it on there, or you're going to have a little friend name who it is. They can pick out the picture. Like, again, you're going to put the pictures in a bucket or a bag or something and have the kid draw it out. And, again, that whole surprise anticipatory piece is huge with toddlers. And so they pick their friend out and you say, who's that? Who's that? And, they, you know, you all scream out the kid's name and then they go, um, usually, and I forgot to say this, when I make the poster, I just tape the sides and the bottom of the kid's picture so it's a pocket. So you put the kid's picture, you know, behind his matching picture so you've made a pocket. That game, I've left that at daycares after we've played it a time or two, and that's one that even reluctant teachers will thank me for and say, <laughs> boy, that was good. I'm going to use that. They love that game. They'll ask me to play pictures or, you know, let's do that, and so that's another fun one. But boy, it takes some time, and you have to get the right kid that you, you know you think could really benefit from that. That's not something I've done with every kid. It's something I've done with a lot of kids. My little girl that was uh, a long time ago, the only kid that I really think is really qualified for a diagnosis of selective mutism. She loved that game, and she would name her friends in the context of that, more so at home than she did uh-huh. at school. But it was a real winner, and it's 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 been a good game. And I wanted to mention that, and if you're an SLP, you've got some time on your hands, and you can do that. And now with all the whole privacy stuff, I think some daycares might balk if you try to do that. You know, if they thought, if they didn't understand what, why you were really doing it. You know, I guess now it would be all the permission. But when I started doing this, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we weren't too worried about all that stuff. You could take pictures of kids and it not be a big deal. Uh, so right. I have to get permission and stuff now, but that that's been a really fun game. And when we did, um, when I had my playgroup program, we did that, and kids liked. It. And it is a way to help kids learn other kids' names in their class. And that's always fun when you see a new talker start to um, say his friends' names. And boys' mothers love that, and love that their their kids seem to have friends at school. So that's one. The um, you could use them in three boxes. We haven't really talked about that, but you have to have the right set of kids that you don't think that that would end up being a disaster. The last uh, go-to game that I haven't mentioned is bowling, and I've done that in a lot of daycares. Have you done bowling in daycares, Kate, where you take your bowling? I haven't, no. 
It's a winner. It's I can fine. see that. I do have yeah. that uh, silly six pins or something, silly something or other bowling set. I have that, but you know the one that I, and you bought me that one, but the one that I really use all the time is just one that I got at Walmart years and years ago, and the pins are a little bit bigger, and you know, oh. of course they're plastic with a plastic ball, and I've got them in a big old like laundry basket, well not a basket, like a net, you know those laundry nets, or those, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about, I keep I keep it in there. And that has been a big, big, big hit with playing that kind of game. And you can get all kinds of language from that. And, again, it just depends on what your target is, whether you're working on single words or phrases or following directions or whatever. You know, that bowling is, is always a fun thing. And I've had a ton of siblings really uh, do well with bowling, too. So we're at the end of our hour. We're actually a little bit past it. But I hope that we've given uh, you some ideas to use for uh, visits at daycare, and again, it's that, like, I love your terminology, that middle echelon <laughs> where a lot of times we really need the help with, where they want you there, it's okay for you to be there, but you don't necessarily know what to do. And usually by one of these kinds of small group or even larger group games, you can model so many nice things for daycare teachers to um, be able to carry over when you're not there and you can work in talking about all these things with a teacher without standing there lecturing them about how they can do it better and I just think it solves a multitude of problems and you really are collaborating and um, you know consulting at that point too they just need more of a model and they need to see you need to be the ideal when you're going in and again, that that's hard for a lot of therapists to want to do that. But once you kind of get over that initial, um, gosh, I'm gonna have to plan and have to think here. Once you get over that, it's it's actually pretty fun. I actually look forward to those kinds of visits. Um, and it's it's something different than you do with you know the rest of your home based visits. So hopefully we've given right. Um, and I think that good them idea. seeing it work is the best sales pitch you can give. You know what I mean? Right. When the teacher yeah. or the caregiver sees it. And you're showing, yeah, look at this participation. Look, everybody's on board here. I'm not having to force anybody to do this. And not only the kid that you're there to see, but the other ones are participating, I think. It's hard to dispute that, you know. Exactly. And then if things do come up, you can tell them how you would address it. You can say, well, what I would do is this, or or the reason that they're, you know, so kind of getting out of control is because of this. This is what we can do, and you can really work in a lot of that teaching in a less threatening, less condescending way when you're, even when you are wanting to change um, things that are there. And so I think it's, I think it's a really good solution, and I think moms like it too when they know that you're really on board with helping the daycare teacher know how to work with their child better. And in an ideal world, that does carry over, but a lot of times it takes just them seeing it and seeing it and seeing it week after week after week. I didn't talk about, and this is the the most negative situation, where we have someone who is with a state early intervention program and they're calling what they're doing therapy therapy, but they're just going into the daycare and hanging out, and I absolutely hate that, and I think that that's why 
our academics in our field sit and write about <laughs> the way that it should be um, because there there are folks who totally take advantage and totally abuse the system there, and I absolutely hate that. But then again, that kind of therapist is not going to be listening to this kind of show, so there you go. <laughs> We've got to preach to the choir. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so our listeners would be the ones who are looking for new ideas and looking for better ways to do things, so there you go. All right, any parting words? No, I don't think so. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks so much. Okay. We'll be back next Thank week. Thank you. Bye. All right. Okay, bye. bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.